Log Talk Radio. Chuck Morse, co-host of Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick emanating out of Boston. Welcome aboard Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. I'd like to welcome aboard my co-host, Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan from Los Angeles. Patrick, how are you? I'm pretty good, but uh, I'd like to uh, tell our listeners or warn our listeners about the funny thing that happened to me this morning. Uh, yes. I got a phone call this morning, and I picked it up, and it was a recorded voice saying, uh, this is a survey call from uh, political survey consultants. This is not a sales call. We are only seeking your opinion on upcoming elections. Well, yeah. of course, I was intrigued, right? Sure. And it, it said, uh, if you um, could consent to be surveyed, please press 1. So I pressed 1, and I got another recorded message that said, uh, your, uh, please hold for 30 seconds and a survey uh Taker, I guess it was our, our survey consultant will be on the uh, the line with you and the consultant. Be ready to give the consultant your name, address, and phone number. Ooh, I wouldn't. That's that's fishy right there. Oh, it gets it gets more interesting. So I I didn't say anything, and uh, the uh, consultant came on and said, um, I want to give. Um, hi, I'm so and so from 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 uh, political survey consultants. Um, I, before we start, I need to get your name, address, and phone number. Well, having taken surveys myself and knowing that that's the last thing you ever ask for, if ever, I said, well, what do you need that for? And he says, well, that's so we can give you the free trip to the Bahamas. That, that <laughs> is your reward. <laughs> oh, brother. Yeah. That's oh, yeah, funny. Quickly. Yes. You know, I, used to, I thought those things all kind of went online. It used to be phone calls. Oh, but, that's uh, like the old conspiracy with the Nigerian prince. Yeah, right. right. I mean, those things go way back. So for our, our listeners, if you get a phone call uh, and they want your name, address, and phone number, hang up. Yeah, do not give that under any circumstances to anybody. Right. I never would. I always say, you know, send me something. You know, I don't yeah. – I, I, I just don't do it. Uh, I just – we should mention a program note, Patrick, and that is that our program, for better or for worse, is now available on your cell phone. You can listen to the program through the Stitchers app. Go to stitchers.com and put in a Fairness Radio, and up comes a, uh, a link to our show. You can listen to it live on your cell phone, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., or I think you can listen to archives. I'm not sure about that on the app. But uh, you definitely can listen to us live anywhere in the world by cell phone, and uh, we hope you do. We certainly do, and of course, if you don't have the Stitchers app, if you have an iPhone, you just go to the iPhone store. If you have a uh, Android phone, Android has recently changed its um, its store. It's now called the Play Store, but Stitchers is on the Play Store. Just go to your your app list and uh, click on um, uh, the uh, the uh, Play Store, and then then uh, search for Stitchers, and it will come up. It only takes about five seconds to download it on either phone. So, right. five seconds of waiting, you get 
Fairness Radio. Wow, what a deal. And I think that apps, I don't know a lot about them still. Uh, certainly my daughter knows a lot, but um, they, they have all sorts of um, means by which they can be utilized. Uh, so you app experts out there, check it out. It's free, and you can listen to us, as I say, anytime. And and uh, if if I'm not mistaken, Chuck, because uh, I I do listen to Stitcher. What you get from Stitcher is not a live show. What you get is the the last podcast. Okay. Stitcher well, doesn't do live shows. So if you miss us live, you can check us out. You get the uh, previous 24 hours. And Patrick, our program tends to be not just news driven, but we get we as as people who listen to us know, we delve into issues. Sometimes rather cantankerous issues um, that that are not that are somewhat time timeless. It's not uh, you know like yesterday we talked about abortion and prayer in schools. You know those are issues that are not necessarily news sensitive. Not that we don't bring up current events in them. That's true. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, also I should um, point out that you that there are uh, apps that will allow you to stream live. Uh, mm-hmm. and, if you, and actually, I believe if you go to uh, www.cyberstation.com on your phone uh, and click uh, Listen Live, you can actually stream us live. So exactly. there's another way in which you can get us. We're everywhere. Patrick, Net, Netroots Nation is making a little drop of news today in Boston. Well, before you do that, we need to welcome our radio listeners. Sure. Welcome aboard to our radio listeners at WWPRAM in Bradenton, Florida. KSKQFM in Ashland, Oregon. Of course, our online partners, Blog Talk Radio, uh, our host station, Cyber Station USA Radio Network, and our app, Stitchers. This is Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. You're welcome to join us, 424-675-6806, 424-675-6806, or you can email us at fairnessradio at gmail.com. Chuck Morse here, along with Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well, and I'm really happy that uh, we're now going to be on Stitcher, and and you can download Stitcher from your app store or or if you have an Android phone from the the Play Store. And Stitcher will give you uh, uh, podcasts. And, of course, if you go to www.cyberstationusa and click on Listen Live, you get the live show. So we are everywhere. Patrick, I was talking a little bit about a minor news story today, or even more of a commentary regarding Netroots Nation, which, of course, was the uh, progressive uh, convention held in Providence, Rhode Island, this past weekend. And we were Um, there. That's right. We were broadcasting live. A right-wing blogger infiltrated, and this wasn't the one we talked about yesterday. I think this is another one. And she made her way to a small presentation put that was – hosted by a Native American group. She asked them how did they feel about Elizabeth Warren calling herself a uh, Cherokee. Did that offend them, Because given the fact that she really isn't? And um, they responded, they actually answered her question, and they responded by saying, well, we recognize her as a Native American, but even if she isn't a Native American, we still like her, and she's great. And uh, in the course of that, that question, I guess somebody, t- some people took a picture and they circulated them because the next day she was at the presentation being put together by Elizabeth Warren and she was going to ask Elizabeth Warren about this, but 
you know, before she did, she saw people passing around a picture of her. She was stopped from doing so by several rather burly guards. I don't know if they were people connected to Netroots Nation or if they were people connected to the Providence Civic Center. It sounds to me more like a Providence thing, actually. And um, and was, you know, rather um, importunely a- a- escorted out of the... Um, out of the area. So, now, what was the picture she was uh, circulating? No, there was a picture taken of her. Oh. At the oh. Native American thing, and that was circulated. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know anything more about it, Patrick. I, I don't either. I'll have to check with the staff on that. Um, Netroots Nation doesn't have any burly guards. And I know right, that's what I think. It sounds to me more yeah. like a, a province civic center thing. Yeah, uh, I know everybody on the staff there, and the only one that possibly could be uh, burly is Eric, and, and he was in the registration center all day, so <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Right? Yeah, I think that maybe I somebody mentioned it to burly guards uh, who came in <laughs> and had a picture of her, and they escorted her out. But, but I can't I, I, I don't know why. Huh. Because they wanted to protect Elizabeth Warren. It might have been Elizabeth Warren's people, too, because she's very – she kind of – seems to travel in a bit of a cocoon she's she's very surrounded by handlers and you know speaking you know and again there are some politicians who do this she's not unique to that no it probably was one of her people brown does too well actually he doesn't he doesn't quite do it quite you know that much scott brown is fairly accessible even to his own you know, fault. But uh, but, uh, uh, but she. Go ahead. Could you explain to me what was the picture? I I, I didn't quite. The picture that. was of this woman asking the question, and these guards had a. They, you know, somebody took a picture. Okay. At and and they basically handed it over to these people. I so, have a feeling so they that a they were. Picture and they got the picture printed. Yeah, and and they were they were and they were being they were circulated. So someplace, yeah. so there had to be a dark room someplace that prints it. No, no. Somebody probably just snap, took a snapshot using their cell phone or something. They just took a headshot just so yeah, but, people but knew. How did it get from the cell phone onto a piece of print paper? Probably somebody downloaded it on their computer. Uh-huh. I mean, it was it was the next okay. day that the Elizabeth Warren thing was. And I have a feeling, uh, my guess, and I have no idea, would be that the people that stopped her were Elizabeth Warren people. Boy, that, that's not weird. not Netroots Nation, nor were they Providence Civic Center people. Well, well, well I have to say, uh, I met um, with with Elizabeth Warren while we were there. In fact, there's a picture of me with Elizabeth I saw Warren. That's your web, You put it up on Facebook. Uh, yes, and uh, she only had uh, two people with her, both of whom were women. So she, there was no cocoons and no goons. Uh, no, no Patrick, these things are usually done more discreetly, and you know, she's there. There are people watching. I mean, it's not. She doesn't want to appear, you know, with with a with a uh, cordon of people, but she is fairly well shielded, and that's that's the way she's handled herself in Massachusetts, even to the ire of the Boston Globe and and the liberal media. Well, she I does not make herself accessible. She doesn't answer questions, I, I and she has she has people yeah. around her. I can't speak to Massachusetts, but at Netroots Nation, she was not shielded. Uh, she was right out there in the scrum with people. Getting her picture taken with everybody, shaking hands. Yeah, but they were people that she was people with her. They were people who she assumed were safe people, except for this one person. And again, I mean, it doesn't. There were there were several uh, conservatives there. Uh, Yeah, but I don't know how. I don't think any of them got too near her. I mean, she. And again, this is the style here in Boston too. I mean, it's Uh not the. 
you know, unique to to Netroots Nation. I mean, she's very she's one of these very shielded, managed candidates. You know, people maybe her her own staff is afraid that she might say something. Who knows? I, I don't really know the inner workings. Well, but I know the, that this woman was was ignominiously escorted out. That that we do know. I, I Again, we have I no idea about, more about this because that is not something that the Netroots Nation people would do. No, I don't think I so. know them, and I don't, and it's not something we would allow other people to do. Well, We've been very, it was we done even discreetly. invited Andrew Breitbart in, and we had to all all he had to do was buy a ticket. I mean, that's just not our our way. So I'm going to find no, out. No, I know this. that, Patrick, and I don't think it was Netroots Nation that did it, as I said. Well, we wouldn't allow other people to do it. Have you got a story you can send me on this? It was no. This was uh, I heard this on two radio talk shows. I don't know if it exists in print, and unfortunately, I didn't even get her name. But yeah. it's uh, it's it was discussed on two radio programs this morning. One of which was Jeff Katz, and um, she actually was on with him. I think it's Howie Carr mentioned it in briefing also in brief also. Uh, I want to I want to talk to to our staff about this and find out sure. exactly what the facts were because that is not what we do. And no, and, and I don't think. Again, I don't think that Netroots Nation had anything to do with it. Okay. I think but, that if yeah. my guess is that it was probably Warren's people and, or somebody connected to her but, but that handled. People, Chuck, Warren's people do not have the authority to remove people from the, the convention center. They could no, not they have don't. done that. Well, I mean, they, they, you're right. They don't have the authority, but I think they went ahead and did it. They blocked her and they moved her away from the area so she could not get access to Warren. They well, didn't well, remove her from the entire convention. Well, no, I, I, maybe I'm misspeaking here. They didn't okay. remove her from the entire convention center. Okay. They removed her from access to Elizabeth Warren. They they okay. just created a somewhat of a <clears throat> a cordon, and they would okay. not, and they knew who she was. Okay. Well, that that that's possible. We have to take a break now because we have a guest coming up, and I believe our guest is going to talk about the war on women. Great. Okay. Go go away. <laughs> You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Block Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and your radio affiliates, and we will be right back. You know that feeling when you sit in the sun and everything tingles, and every time I sing this song, makes me smile for endless days. I go round and round and round like a merry-go for fun forever. Beautiful day by Vassie. Vassie's going to be with us this Friday on Music Friday on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. And now it's Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick, and here is your host, Chuck Morris. Thank you, Patrick. And our guest this segment is Professor Christina Hoff Summers, who formerly a professor of philosophy at Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts the author of several books, including Who Stole Feminism, The War Against Boys, One Nation Under Therapy, The Science on Women in Science. 
Christina, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Nice to be here. Christina, I personally was um, very impressed by your book, Who Stole Feminism, which I read many years ago. And the thing that I liked about this book is that it took on some of the wilder side of the feminist community with regard to claims of fact. Um, You mentioned specifically a statistic in which this one group released a so-called fact that um, violence against women increased on the day of the Super Bowl. You yes, investigated 40% this. Was the claim. That's right. And, and, and the thing that I liked about it is that, and there were several other examples in your book, you investigated this very carefully and very dispassionately and discovered that it was a complete fraud. Um, yes. This, I think, had a very positive effect on feminism in that it made it more honest. And your book had a very profound effect, I am convinced. Oh, I hope so. These statistics are still out there. The Super Bowl factoid, fictoid, seems to have disappeared. Although this last year they claimed that in England there was the claim that violence against women increased 30% during the World Cup. But fortunately the BBC did a good job dismantling it. So. Right, but, right. But, but, but you, always, you have to keep on top of these things. And I think that what I learned from this is that sometimes – when we're when you hear about statistics or you hear very authoritative facts coming out of the news, it may not necessarily be so. And um, but right, it's not and what I found is around around domestic violence, there's just it's such a it's a, such a tragic crime, and people understandably feel strongly about it. But I believe women who are victims of violence will be best served by good research and not hyperbole, exaggeration, and hysteria. But believe me, to this day, there's a tremendous amount of misinformation and exaggeration and confusion. Right. But I keep trying. That's right. And some some people even say, well, I don't care if there's confusion and, and exaggeration if, it, if we think it helps our cause. Now, uh, you make a differentiation in your, your philosophical works between what you call equity feminism versus gender feminism. Can you explain that? Yes. Uh, I consider myself to be an equity feminist. An equity feminist wants for women what she wants for everyone, fair treatment, no discrimination. Uh, Just promises to women all of those enlightenment ideals that uh, are part of our our tradition. Um, And it believes in equality of opportunity. Gender feminism is what I call a lot of the feminism on the campus, uh, which comes from the feminist theorists, my colleagues in feminist philosophy, uh, they believe that American women are trapped in what they call the sex-gender system, that every institution bears the impress of patriarchy. It's not enough to improve the status of women. You have to overthrow the system. As one, one of my colleagues in feminist philosophy said, we're all born bisexual and then through socialization transformed into male and female gendered human beings, one group destined to command, the other to obey. It sounds like, yeah, it's a very political (laughs) theory that's similar to the Marxist theory of exploitation. Um, Yeah, in some cases uh, it looks like they just crossed out class and put gender. You know, it's it's tiresome, and it doesn't describe American society in any any way which is accurate. I mean, there... if you looked at American men and women today, there's a mix of, of burdens and benefits. It's hard to say who's better off. 
I mean, there are areas where men are better off, but my goodness, women live longer. We're better educated. We have more choices in how we live our lives. Um, So it's just wrong to teach young women that in in American universities that they're a member of an oppressed class and subordinate. And it's still going on, and it's silly, and it's also harmful to, to young women. It's poisonous, this philosophy. Right, right. It's a very victimization oriented outlook. Now do the the gender feminists consider women to actually literally have a different consciousness than men? Well, it depends on the there are many schools of thought <laughs> with among the, the hardline feminists and uh there are some I don't know if it's as popular as it once was, but there when I was teaching philosophy uh in the nineties there was a theory about that's called female ways of knowing that we had a special mm-hmm. epistemology and that if women did science you know we'd come up with different conclusions and so forth none of this has been borne out i mean it appears right. that women could be very good scientists but they have to follow the scientific methodology uh i want to bring things up to the present election um yes. the um us senate recently voted against a uh, an equality act for women um the um equal employment act uh, and it was all republicans who voted against this um this might be described as something that's connected to the so-called war against women although uh, recent polls indicate that um the uh, in, on the national level the republican and the democratic candidacies for president that gap is closed uh, i think that's about a 3 percentage gap now so, yeah, I was very sorry to see the the Obama administration take up this cause because the pay equity, we, we women had to fight for that, but it's still not fully achieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this act was crafted by, again, fairly hardline feminists in the women's lobby in Washington, groups like the AAUW and the National Women's Law Center. And they actually believe that the reason there's a pay gap is that there are inscrupu- unscrupulous employers deliberately paying women and men different wages. And in today, in the New York Times, in the business section, there's an excellent analysis. Um, And even the Boston Globe and the Washington Post, they're they're sympathetic to the cause of women. They're considered part of the liberal media. And they were against this act because it was very punitive to employers, and I think it would harm women by making them frightened to hire us because it made it much easier to sue them for unlimited damages, created all these little funds for women's groups to give workshops to women on how to teach them how to negotiate and so forth. And uh, it's not as if men aren't having trouble in the workplace right now. Right. Uh, and you look at the numbers of men who lost jobs and what's happened to the to working-class men, it's tragic. And, um, no, I, I, I mean, just as a, as a practical matter, I mean, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but... I don't think that companies who are hiring people or advertising for a position that, you know, first of all, they're not going to say they want a male or a female, but if a female applies and is hired, um, I mean, am I right to say that they're not going to pay them less than if they hired a male to do the same job in the same hours? There's no evidence of that. Every time an economist, including some very conscientious feminist economists, look at Wages. What they find is that there's there's no gap that's, that that is attributable to discrimination. There there are if, if the woman has a different education. This is the problem. Men and women go into different fields. 
And even if they go into the same field, they go into different specializations. And even if they go into the same field and and the same they specialize in the same field, it turns out he might typically work more hours per week well, or I think stay that in the job more consecutive years. It's motherhood. It's the fact. It, what the right. women's groups who who promote these bills they they will have to have a bill to eliminate motherhood. Then you'll get rid of the wage gap. But most of us would object. So. Well, yeah, and I I think that there's a lot of changes in society in recent decades uh, with regard to men getting involved in traditional fields that were dominated by women and vice versa. Like there are a lot of men now who are becoming nurses and who are becoming elementary school teachers, whereas those used to be traditionally more women than men. And also you bring up the obvious fact that women have children and that they're more likely to take time off from right. work in order to rear their children. Not right. that men don't that, do that also, but we're talking in averages. And as a result, you know, they come back into the workplace years, in some cases years later, whereas the male has been there all along and is working a full-time job. So, sure, they're a little bit ahead in terms of pay. It's not because, uh, you know, the, it's not because of a male-female. It's just because, you know, someone took time off from their career. That's right. And then you, you, if you factor that in, and then you factor in that uh, you look at the college majors, and, and you could go to a, a, a young woman, and let's say she's majoring in psychology, which is dominated by women now, and you told her, look, you'll make more money if you become a petroleum engineer. Now, that's a field dominated by men. Uh, now, is that because of sexism that she says, no, I'm more interested in psychology? And I do not wish to be a petroleum engineer. So right. there, there, you, there's more going on here. You have to. You can't just look at, at raw wages and then draw the conclusion that there's discrimination. You have to factor in what people are interested in, what are their propensities and aptitudes, and you find that the sexes aren't precisely interchangeable. There are there are there's a lot that's the same between men and women, and there's some that's different. And, and of course, there are always women that defy the stereotypes. But and, and right, men, sure. But, but, but if you take a look at, like, the top CEOs in this country, like, for example, two females just ran for um, governor of California and senator in California, both of whom are women, I think that – and the top CEOs of their corporations, they probably make the same as their male counterparts in the same position, I would think. Well, that's right, and that's the other thing is we see so many examples of women who are just succeeding in such glorious ways. And yeah. and there's going to be more of that. There, there are people now writing books, like Hannah Rosen is writing a book called The End of Men. Uh, I think she's exaggerating. I, don't I think uh, it's a little premature. Uh, and men will men do have a way of uh, finding they find their way to the to the extremes of success and failure. You have yes, you have more males who are CEOs of of Fortune 500 companies, and you have more men in maximum security prisons. This is true around the world. Men succeed spectacularly and fail spectacularly. And too often the women's groups, they'll look at a very small, rarefied group of highly successful men, you know, college presidents and CEOs of Fortune 500, and they deplore the alleged sexism that created this situation. But then why aren't they complaining about the population of prisons or number of people living on the street? Uh, you right. look at almost any pathology, and, and men are overrepresented. So you have to look at the entire picture. And and things look a little different. And what I, I really object to this Paycheck Fairness Act and the way the administration threw themselves behind it without, you know, being careful to uh, to look at the background. Okay, our guest is uh, Christina Hoff Summers, author, 
American author and, and former philosophy professor at Clark University. Let me welcome aboard my co-host, Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan. Patrick? Thank you, Chuck, and uh, thank you, Christina, for, for being with us. And, and you bring up a number of good points, although I would point out that um, um, the, uh, the poll by USA Today, Gallup points out that there's a huge gender gap between uh, Romney and um, President Obama in the, in the swing states, in some cases as much as 55% uh, in California, and that uh, by 41% to 24% women call themselves Democrats. Uh, so there's, a, there's, there's still quite a, uh, a, a major gap between uh, women and men when it comes to support for uh, the, the, the president. Um, you bring up a number of very good points uh, about the Equal pay, pay, pay Act and various other things. And I, and I consider myself a feminist, and I consider myself an equality feminist. Uh, my daughter would beat me up uh, if I was not. Um, and, I'm, <laughs> right? and I'm very glad that uh, she's, uh, she's also an equality, an equality feminist. A couple of uh, things that uh, did concern me about uh, your presentation and, and I don't want to get into fact-based argument here because I respect you as, a, as an academic, as am I an academic. But um, uh, the, the, rank, the number of women who are in the top ranks of uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, are, is abysmally low. And, in fact, Cat, the Catalyst uh, organization points out that it's dropped in the past two years. And it seems to be there's a glass ceiling that uh, women have made uh, – great gains uh, in getting into middle management, even upper middle management, um, my wife being one of them. But when it comes to breaking that glass ceiling into the, the, the big corner office, the office that with the, the $14 million paycheck and the, and the huge bonuses, w women are um, about 4%. Now, why do you think that is? Well, I do think that uh – there could be some – I don't ever rule out the possibility that there's discrimination. I like to be open-minded, and and uh, as I said, I consider myself a feminist, and I know that what happened in the past could, should, could certainly happen in the present. However, anytime anybody looks into it, there's always a logical explanation in any particular company. Uh, you can find that there were just you – know, the pool of men that is available to take these positions is a lot larger, and uh, it – Again, it probably goes back to just men do appear to be somewhat more competitive, single-minded, and um, women are just very much more distracted by family and just less compulsive about making it to the very top. And um, there was a very good study by at uh, Rutgers University about women in politics. Why are there so few women senators and governors and they came to the conclusion that it wasn't discrimination. If women run for office, people will vote. There's, there doesn't seem to be uh, any prejudice in the population. They're as likely to get votes. Men and women candidates are as likely to get votes. But it turned out that you just couldn't find very many women that wanted to do it. It had to do with what women preferred and the life of going out and uh, you know, leaving your family for months on end on, on, the, on the campaign trail and so forth was just something very few women wanted to do. They didn't have that aspiration. So it may be that there, there is some difference in this, between men and women. Well, obviously there's differences between men and women, and I know that um, when I was um, on the faculty at Georgia Tech, I helped set up a multimillion-dollar scholarship program for women in engineering and science, and we had a hard time recruiting people, and we were giving money away. So uh, uh, there's a great deal of what you say, and I think what you're actually pointing to, if you look at it from a different lens, is a structural problem 
that uh, structurally um, our campaigns are too long, too expensive, and too vicious. <clears throat> and women are wisely saying that they've got better things to do with their life than to, than to raise millions of dollars to, uh, and throw mud at other people, some of whom they actually may like and respect. At, at the corporate level, um, the path into the corner office frequently comes through sales, the salespeople being the, the folks that actually generate the money. And as you point out, sales is a very, very competitive uh, process. And also people who are exceed ex, at sales frequently don't have much of a life because they're on the road a right. lot. So there may be something to that. Um, I will point out, however, that in my experience, and I have no data to, to, to uh, back this up, in my experience, women seem to be better managers particularly of large organizations, uh, than men do. And that may be a, a reason why we see so much mismanagement going on in corporations uh, today. Uh, we just we see the, the Jamie Dimon uh, apologizing for major problems in uh, his organization, leading to billions of dollars of losses today as an example. So uh, I think there's a lot to what you say, but I think it also points to some structural problems in the way these institutions are organized. Well, I don't know that we're going to be able to get uh, viciousness and competitiveness out of campaigns. I think they've been there since the beginning of of the, <laughs> the republic. That's another uh, show, right? <laughs> and uh, yes, and um, again in business and companies. I mean, I, I just think that we have to take out uh, the, 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 this bitterness that it's discrimination, and realize that it's a different problem. And maybe it's not a problem. I mean, is it so? I mean, you, you say, well, women are better managers. I like to see the evidence of that. Well, I, like I, said, uh, I don't. My, I don't rule it out. I have no evidence. Well, right. Patrick, I just want to ask you briefly. I mean, do you have any data that indicates that women CEOs of corporations are better, or those are better managed than those where there's a male CEO? Uh, no, as I said, this is only my observation. I have okay. no data. Okay. I mean, I'm sure there have been, there will be. I mean, there have been dazzling women scientists, but the, the pool of Nobel Nobel laureates. Have, <laughs> who were women is small, and if you look at the numbers of women who go into uh, fields like physics and engineering, it's very small. However, oh, yeah. women are moving into biology in great numbers, and I do expect to see them winning the prizes. And just the sheer force of number, uh, they're just bound to be some that are going to uh, distinguish themselves at the very top. But still, I think that if you were when you first came on the phone, you said, "Well, I agree with you. There are differences between men and women." But you should be aware that in the campus, that is uh, something you don't say. In many women's studies programs, it's they're predicated on the assumption that that's untrue, that this was all just created by patriarchal society. They call it essentialism, and that's a sin to assume that there are essential differences. And, well, I was um, in political science, not women's studies, so I could say uh, that. Okay, that's better. <laughs> Although political science is probably better. And I was in philosophy, and philosophers don't have much patience with that. But... Uh, and that's a field very dominated by men. Uh, now, now, which brings up a question. Why, is, why would philosophy be dominated by men? I think because, again, it's sort of for obsessive people who have, uh, who just don't mind spending a lot of time uh, kind of carried away with uh, esoteric problems. And you just, again, there are women that do it, brilliant philosophers, but you oh, yeah. find more men. And also, it's contentious. Philosophy is going to meetings and arguing with people. And um, there's no other way to do it because we, we have a system of quality control in philosophy called criticism, and it's often very harsh. And uh, uh, you have to have a, um, 
you know, temperament. And again, it just seems there be more more men that want to do that. Okay. And well, plus, philosophy is also very. Uh, a lot of it is uh, mathematics, sort of logic and mathematics, and there are fewer women that find that fascinating and want to spend their life doing it. Although we're seeing more, uh, well, one of the fields that uh, when I was George Tech we saw women entering was bioinformatics, which requires uh, both knowledge of biology and, and mathematics. And, and bioinformatics, of course, is one of the major routes into biotechnology uh, that is, is, can be a route to, to wealth and uh, and, and yeah, things, I so. think that's an exciting area where women are distinguishing themselves. But again, if you look at patents, yeah, who's who's filing patents? It's astonishing. It's yeah. uh, the last time I looked, it was ninety three percent, ninety four percent male. And well, why um, do you think that is? Because there's no competition involved in filing a patent. I think again, uh, there there's a wonderful. Um, a theorist at, at Cambridge University who's an expert on autism, and uh, he thinks that uh, he has this theory that that an autistic child, an autistic mind, especially the high-functioning uh, autistics uh, who have Asperger's syndrome, he said it, uh, they're often very obsessed, compulsive about one thing, and not terribly interested in communicating and sharing feelings and so forth. And more, they're system, systemizers rather than empathize, empathizers, he says. And, he, and there are far more males that have Asperger's syndrome. And he, his hypothesis is that it's the, the extreme male brain, that Asperger's, is, that all males have a little bit, most males have a little bit of it. So it just may be, we don't understand it fully, but it's possible that males are the systemizers and the women are the empathizers. And so you find women have all but taken over fields like psychology, pediatrics, social work, they were always there, uh, in the nurturing professions preponderance of women and then you go to the fields where just where, that are sort of people free fields people free zones and you find um you know with not a lot of uh call, don't call on your skills as an empathizer but your skills as a mathematician and 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 mathematical analysis and you find mostly men yeah. so i think that may be a basic possibly biologically driven difference interesting uh chuck we're, we're about due for a break do you want to uh do that. Why yeah, Patrick, why don't we briefly go to a break? We'll be right back. Our guest is Christina Hoff Summers, author, philosopher. We'll be right back. Why is it when I see your name, it's got me all busted up, butterflies in my brain, and every time you call, I can't seem to get it right. Why am I up till 2 a.m.? Now it's quarter past three, boy, you did it again. And I can't seem to get a cheeky smile out of my mind. I feel like a fool when I lose my cool. I'm just trying to impress you, boy, you got me strong. And I don't know what to do. Could this be Could This Be Love by Vassy. Vassy's going to be with us uh, this uh, Friday on Music Friday in the second hour of our show. You listen to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick 
on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. And this segment is brought to you by Barton Publishing, bartonpublishing.com, your source of information to manage your health and your body your way without using toxic or expensive drugs. And we're talking to Christina Hoffman Summers, and I'm going to turn you over to your host, Chuck Morse, the great Thank Chuck you, Morris. Patrick. Christina Hoff Summers. Uh, Christina, I want to bring things back a bit to politics. Um, the, the reference to the war against women, my good friend and co-host, Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan, makes reference to the so-called pelvic issues. And we've heard uh, people on this program refer to such matters as those who oppose legal abortion, those who oppose free free dispensing of birth control, that they are anti-women or that this is a war against women. Uh, what do you think of that analysis, Christina? Well, it's a very odd analysis because the first thing to know is that year after year we get very good data from the Gallup poll, for example, about how Americans feel about abortion. And you find men and women... We're divided. I mean, uh, that is to say about 50% of men are uh, pro-life and uh, about 50% of women. And then you ask further questions. Do you think it's morally wrong? Uh, And the same thing, 51% of women, 51% of men say yes, that it's morally wrong. Mm -hmm. And then you ask, well, should it be legal in all circumstances? Almost no one says that. They say the majority say that it should be legal, but only in a few circumstances. And there you go. Um, actually, the, the latest Gallup poll, that's 24% say it should be legal in all circumstances. I've got the poll in front of me. Well, that's pretty low, Patrick. But it's not almost none. No, no, no. It's legal in any circumstances. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think that we could take a look at exactly how that question was asked. Does that include, like, um, killing the the child like immediately after being a botched abortion. I mean, I'm just saying, you have to take a look at the nuances of, but they of exactly say that, what they ask, should it be legal in only a few circumstances? And uh, 36% of women and I think 42% of men said yes, <laughs> only in a few circumstances. So what, what I'm saying is that you don't have the women against the men, or you, and you don't have a majority of women against a minority of fanatics. You have a, a population genuinely in, uh, disagreeing, and uh, I must say as a philosopher, it's a tough issue. It is a dilemma, and there's no, it's, it's very different from gay rights. If you look at gay marriage, you find the population moving towards acceptance, certainly towards civil unions, but, but gay marriage is, is gaining momentum. We, we're watching social change uh, before our eyes happening very quickly, and I, I welcome that, but with abortion, it's not going to happen that way because it is a, a, a fundamental dilemma where it, you, you see this, this collision of fundamental values where people believe in the rights of the unborn and other people believe in a woman's right to determine what happens to her body. So there's this conflict and people come down on different sides. And it, you can't determine by your sex where side you come down. And so I think when people just declare it's a war against women, uh, that's oversimplifying and, it, and it's inaccurate. You know, it actually seems like it's not even a... You know, at least in terms of public opinion, it's not even a gender issue, although it is, of course, because a woman gets pregnant. But in terms of public opinion, in terms of the view of it, it's not. It's it's more of a moral issue that transcends uh, gender. It has more to do with life and death and how people perceive life or or not. So right. um, you know, I think you make the point that it seems a bit disingenuous to say that people who have, for moral reasons, for practical reasons, 
the scientific reasons, and there's a growing number of them who have a problem with abortion, that that they're somehow anti-women, that that, that they have something against women. Well, well, uh, Chuck um, and Christina, the the reference to what Democrats and and liberals call the war on women goes far beyond that, and I'll give you some examples. Republicans want to redefine rape so that that men who use alcohol and drugs to uh, to rape a woman uh, aren't considered rapists. A state. Oh wait a minute! Later. Wait a minute! Because <laughs> no uh, way. Yeah, I mean, that you true? may find some Neanderthal who believes that, but it's it, it's actually quite different. Okay. Uh, this, this this whole debate, and I know quite a bit about it. I've been involved with it. It comes out of what's happening on the campus, where uh, young men are brought up before a, a campus disciplinary committee for rape. And if he concedes, on many campuses, if he concedes that they, they have been drinking and and there was no force and she consented but she had been drinking, they call it rape. Now, there's a problem with that because that would mean that, uh, you know, historically a, a huge amount of, of, of uh, sexual intimacy would be called rape, even between married yeah. people. People have been known to go to charge. bars. It could destroy his life. Well, well, that may be, and I'll leave, leave that one, but let's continue on. A state legislator in Georgia wants to change the legal term for victims of rapes to accuser, but victims of other non-gendered crimes like burglary would still remain victims. In South Dakota, Republicans have introduced a bill. Well, wait, let's go one, 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 one at a time, Patrick. I, I well, no, no, we, we, but we, um, we, rather yes, than get into a speech, Patrick, rather than get into a speech, let's go over each thing one at a time. You'll get to it. What about, Christina, the business in Georgia where Republicans also want to uh, make it legal. To and is that something uh, that the Republican doctor? Party has embraced? Let's just, Patrick, let's do this orderly. We'll go well, over I'm them. I'm trying to one. do it orderly, but you're No, you're not. You're giving a speech, a and I want to go of, over. I want to find out. I want to find out one at a time. You can find because out. Otherwise, you can go through them no, one by one. But I want to go through them and make the case. Now, I didn't interrupt you. So to interrupt me. I'm okay, let 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 you know, let him make his case, and then. <laughs> but the case does depend on, on I think, a lot of faulty premises. And well, we you know. get to that. And Republicans have introduced a bill in uh, South Dakota, which would make it legal, legal to murder a doctor who provides abortion care. And abortion care, we have to re- re- keep in mind, is illegal. Uh, is, is legally and constitutionally protected. Republicans want to cut a billion dollars of food. What was the name of the Republicans? Wait a minute, Patrick. Republicans you know, we, we want to go. All right. Bill let, to let we, hospitals allow a woman to die rather than perform an abortion necessary to save her life. Maryland Republicans ended all county money for low-income kids preschool programs. <sighs> the, the man who introduced the bill said that. The reason he introduced the bill is because women should really be at home with the kids, not out working. Republicans in the Congress want to cut the same program by a billion dollars. Two-thirds of the elderly in this country are women, and yet Republicans want to cut a billion dollars from spending for employment services meals. Virginia and nine other states are requiring introduced laws requiring that women be vaginally probed before they can have a legal abortion. That doesn't happen to men. Men don't have to be probed before they get to exercise their constitutional rights. That wasn't enough. Republicans are pushing to eliminate all funds for the only federal family planning program in the country. Republicans attacked the largest single provider of health care in the nation to women. That would be Planned Parenthood. Republicans want to get rid of Title X. 
Republicans killed the Equal Pay Amendment. We've already talked about that. Uh, they've also, and, not, and that isn't even bringing up the attack by right-wing radio on, on Sandra Fluke for telling Republicans that she took and other women took birth control pills to control cervical cancer. There is a war on women, and abortion is only a part of it. Now you can go back and attack all All right, now let's start from the beginning, Patrick, rather than do this inane laundry list where nobody can really keep track of it and no one's going to remember. there are battles in the war. Well, no, we, but in order silly. for us to learn something, Patrick, we have to go over each one okay. to find out whether they're true and who supports it. Otherwise, you have just a kind of a Stalinist propaganda speech. So let's start with the first. So let's start with the first one. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What about the first one in your speech in your diatribe, so we can find out and maybe learn something? The Georgia one. Let's talk about that as an isolated matter. What happened in Georgia, Patrick? State legislator in Georgia wants to change the legal term of victims of rape, stalking, and domestic violence to, quote, accuser. Okay. Now, Christina, what is the deal with that? Do you have any opinion on that? Uh, I would only say that I think what motivates him, this state legislator in Georgia, <clears throat> is that, um, that of all crimes, uh, the, 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 it's, it's in domestic violence and rape where you have more false accusations. It's right. also a crime that's underreported. It's 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 enigmatic in many many ways and tragic in all ways. However, there are false accusations, especially in the course of a divorce proceeding. And so there mm-hmm. have been uh there've been terrible stories of men who have been found uh, guilty of rape. Even there've been men uh you know who had life in prison and then there's the a, a DNA program that has found them to be innocent sure. uh, and, and and so we have we have this problem with these sets of crimes and so it may be that he was moved to uh address that by saying instead of saying victims say accusers there was a big case in massachusetts recently where a man had ter- served almost 20 years in prison and it turned out that he had been innocent he had been accused of rape because finally the woman came forward now, this I don't know what this has to do with Republicans or Democrats. It seems to me like a social issue that really doesn't need to be and in fact, politicized. I think it, it could be Democrats. It's the, I think yeah. it's called the, uh, uh, there's, there's this project, the Innocence Project, and I think it's, I would guess, Barry Schecht, I think, is leading it. He could be a Democrat. So that's, okay. again, it's a so, complicated issue. People don't come down easily as Democrats or liberals. Or, well, that's why right. I by Republican. Fine, wonderful. Be, now let's go to number two, and, and maybe that Republican Bobby had Frank. the courage to bring up a genuine social issue here. It doesn't mean he doesn't like women and doesn't he's not supporting rape, well, if you're, uh, which is awfully propagandistic. Now let's go on to number two, well, the South Dakota one, Patrick. What happened in South Dakota? In South Dakota, Republicans have proposed a bill that would make it legal to murder a doctor who provides abortion care. Okay, Christina, do you know anything about that? I know nothing about murder. it. It sounds it's horrible, and uh, it will never get passed. And I doubt that it, they're doing what you say. Yeah, I highly but, doubt that, Patrick. I want to see I'm the sorry, language. Republican proposed the bill. I, I want to see the language, Patrick. I don't believe you. I don't think you're telling the truth. I, 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 I don't think say, anybody has way, said my, my somebody can my murder somebody. My colleague at um, AEI, Carlin Bowman, oh, is statistician, fantastic, and, and she yeah, will never, if the data's not on your side, it could be something I care about, she tells the truth. She told me that she looked into this, 
all this whole list of horrors uh, that were supposedly going on in state houses, and she said that it was absolutely uh, bogus. Well, exactly. It, well, Patrick, like please well, send me the language. Not, uh, please send me the language in South Dakota that, that says that somebody is, has the right to murder somebody. I want to see I'm that. Sorry, it, it, it represented Phil Jensen. Yeah. Wanted to expand the state's definition of justifiable homicide to murdering a abortion doctor. That's I want to see the, the language because I don't believe it. You, no. You'll have to, we'll have you'll Carl, have to post uh, it. Carl has been on the show many times. No, I want, to hear, I want to see the language I, of that bill that says that an abortion doctor can be If there's one lunatic in the state legislature in South Dakota, that a war against women does not make. Right, assuming that this is true, and I don't believe it. What's yeah. number well, three, Patrick? It's HB one one seven one. Yeah, I want to read the language. Well, look it up. No, it's right on you the You can post. Well, you're the one who made the accusation that well, something state the legalized murder. I'm not making a fact. You well, then read. You haven't actually read the language Homic- of the bill. Okay, section section one twenty two sixteen thirty four. Homicide is justifiable if committed by any person while resisting any attempt to murder such person. Such person being. T- to harm an unborn child if, if such person is in a manner and a degree likely to result in the death of an unborn child. Okay, well then, yeah, that's that's crazy. You, you, then you're right, Patrick. Thank you. I'm glad we're now finally starting to learn something. We don't have to go through a long list of, of half-truths. Uh, yeah, that sounds like it's true, and I don't think that's something that anybody's embraced other than this one person, uh, unless you can show me something else. Well, it seems like there's a pattern of, of, of these things that oh, all come please. from Republicans. Yeah, well, let's go to the next one then, Patrick. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before, this is yeah. going to be tedious, but uh, maybe I could go through a list about what, what I do think is uh, a war, which is on mm-hmm. boys. Fair enough. And, uh, it's, uh, it, and I don't have to manufacture strange, obscure cases and bills, but uh, what we have in, in the case of boys is serious academic deficits. Uh, I was just looking at rates of suspension and uh, rates of dropping out and almost every negative indice in education, uh, you find far more boys than girls. And with girls, when they were uh, languishing in math and science, we had a massive national effort to strengthen them. Every State Mm -hmm. Department of Education had programs. Boys are much further behind in reading and writing, uh, much less likely to go to college. And we have nothing, zero. There is a White House Commission on Women and Girls, some groups from the, the, the Boy Scouts and, and fraternities, all sorts of organizations tried to get together and encourage the White House to have um, a, an initiative on boys. They were stonewalled. They're getting nothing. And, I, and, I wonder, and, who's, and whose yeah, White House was that, yeah. by the way? But, but, Patrick, I could also go over the war against private ownership, the war against the private sector, the war against working people, the war against taxpayers the war against freedom. And I could come up with a pretty long list on that one. And I could so come up I think with a long much list more, each of those, too. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. So I think it's much more productive. Ha, 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 ha. I think it's much more productive for us to go over, rather than delivering this propaganda speech, because this is a talk show. It's not, you know, this isn't Finland Station. I think it would be much more productive to go over each point and discuss it. That's what we do in talk radio. We talk. We don't read speeches. Well, what is the next one? The Just next one back. is uh, okay. the uh, well, except for the speeches you give, Chuck. The next one. No, is I don't the, give uh, speeches, the, Patrick. The bill introduced in Congress to uh, to enable a hospital to allow a woman to die rather than to give her a an abortion. It's HR three fifty eight. It's called the Protect Life Act. It's sponsored by Representative Joe Pitts, a Republican from Pennsylvania. 
and it says that hospitals can refuse. Can I'll read it here? That, that hospitals that don't want to provide abortions can refuse to do so, even if the pregnant woman with a life-threatening complication that requires a doctor to terminate her pregnancy. The provision would would apply to more than 600 Catholic hospitals governed by the Catholic Health Association, which are regulated by bishops. Yeah, we talked about that with with Bishop Michael Wanowitz. What they do is they immediately get help at another hospital. They don't just turn them away. Well, that's they, maybe but they what cannot, they do, but that's not what the bill says. Yeah, but that's what – well, that's not what the bill says, but that's what happens. They don't just – there's no case like that in a Catholic hospital where I, someone is just left to die. They don't do that. We've I didn't talked about say that this. There was. I said that there's a, a, a Republican has introduced a bill that would allow hospitals to let a woman die. I didn't no, say that. No, it, 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 that, it, it that's what the bill says. No, it introduced a bill to protect Catholic hospitals from not performing a procedure that runs against their conscience is no. what that is. And, and you and I may agree, Patrick, that that's not appropriate, but nevertheless, they have a system in place where they handle this without actually doing it, and it's an extremely rare situation. But in the case, we actually talked about a case like this with Michael Wanowitz, and, and it's, it, it deals more with making sure that, that a doctor or a hospital doesn't have to do something that's against their conscience, whether you or I agree with it, that or not, and I think we do agree that they should do it, but nevertheless... They have a means by which they can, you know, quickly get a remedy without having to compromise the hospital. I understand that, Chuck, but that's not what the law says. The law that was the bill that was introduced does not require hospitals to refer them. It merely says that they can allow the woman to die. It, it says allow the woman to die. That uh, hospitals that don't wish to provide abortions can refuse to do so, even for a pregnant woman with a life-threatening complication that requires a doctor to terminate her pregnancy. There's no where does it say allow women to die? That's that's what happened. That yeah, well, anyway, where does it say that? No, you said that the bill said you said the bill said allows a woman to die. Well, where does it, does it say that? That's what well, it does. Well, well, what it does is let the hospital refer her. That's also not in the bill. But what the bill does say is nothing about allowing anybody to die. Anyway, go on to the next one. Uh, well, we're unfortunately we're out of time. We're at the end of the first hour. Oh, dear. Christina Hoff Summers, I want to thank you for joining us this afternoon. Well, thank you. Thank and, you, Christina. Uh, we'll have we to have do... you back on and talk about the war against boys, because that's real, too. And yes. the war against ownership. Anyways, thanks so much for joining us. We shall return after these messages. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick.
Welcome to join us at 424-675-6806, 424-675-6806, or fairnessradio at gmail.com. Uh, this is yours truly, Chuck Morse, along with Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan. Patrick, we just had on Christina Hoff Summers, former professor at Clark University um, and, uh, and philosopher, author of Who Stole Feminism. Is she former or is she still on the I thought she still no, on the No, I think she's the her Wikipedia page says former. Oh, okay. All right. I know she's at AEI, which is Patrick, which, I don't deliver speeches. What I do is I express opinions that generally are, it's connected to each other and it's but I don't come up with a page pre pre printed page and rattle off a bunch of facts that are not related to each other but that are each one of which needs to be discussed in a way that doesn't allow for discussion. It's impossible to, in a talk show, respond to a page of things that, you know, when you list off, I think you listed off at least ten, if not a dozen things, all of which are separate events. And that's not a discussion. You know, a discussion would be if you listed off one, maybe two, and then gave your opinion on it and discussed it and put it into context. Uh, And in that case, you know, take all the time you want. But to go and, and to pick up and print off a page from somewhere, I don't know where you picked it up, and just read it, that's, that's not you know, what we do here, Patrick. Well, what we do here is we uh, use facts to back up our arguments, and I was listing all the facts that back up our arguments, and that's in op- opposition to the two- and three-minute soliloquies that you, you frequently use before you ask, you ask questions, which I don't do. I just directly ask questions. So I'm going to reserve my right to list all the facts necessary to back up my arguments, and if you don't like it, you can take your earphones off and walk away for a while. I deal in facts, and that's what I'm going to continue doing. There are facts backing up the war on women, and I'm going to list those facts, and that's that. You can list those facts. My objection is that you have to do it in a manner in which we can discuss them one at a time, not go because to just list and claim that a lot of things are facts and go off a rattle off a page with 12 separate events, that's not actually getting into a discussion of these so-called facts, whether or not they're factual, putting them into context. You know, in a talk show, you're supposed to, try to put things in a context. And when I, when I, you know, that doesn't mean you can't talk for a long time. I do that, but I try to, I don't go into, I usually make one or two points and then I put opinion around it and facts around it and I try to explain why I think this is important. You know, you, you know if you want to rattle off a list of 12 things, I think it, it's going to be more effective and you, you'll have the time to rattle off every one of them, even if it takes us weeks. But to do it in a way that is in a in a con, in a uh, a context of discussion and that is fair because when you have, especially if you have a guest you can't possibly respond to all of these facts you know this is what politicians do you know this is what barney frank did to me in a debate he rattled off probably about 10 or 12 facts and it was impossible for me to respond to them because you only have a minute and you can't possibly respond to all of the things that he said but we're not running for office here. I'm not running for office. I don't have to do that. We're, this is a talk show. You did that already, so we, right? 
Excuse me? Yeah, I, I've been through that, and I'm yeah, not going right. to go through it again. So have I, and I wouldn't put you through it either. I wouldn't sit here with a page and rattle off 10 or 12 undigested things that, that need to be discussed, each one of them to analyze. You know, if I wanted to say the Republicans, uh, the Democrats are having a war on private ownership, I might spend some time discussing why I think so. I might mention some things that you know about that, but I'm not going to then go on and mention other things and, and rattle them off. I mean, this is more than just a stylistic thing, Patrick. This is, you know, it, this isn't, you know, it, I mean, this is AM radio. You know, we have this is a discussion format. Well, as I said, I mean, did you read um, that I off need a page? To put up a list of facts to back up my case. I'm going to put up a list of facts, and if you want to. Uh, discuss each one after I've listed them, I will. But what happens is if I just say one of them, then we get off onto a discussion that, is, that takes the rest of the, uh, the show and, we never, and I never get to all of them. There is a huge weight of evidence, and I'm going to lay out the evidence. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. No, I don't, I don't mind it, Patrick. That's my style. I don't mind it at all, but it, it, it should take a long time. You and I, and you know I've done this, where I have taken weeks to get to finish a discussion, but I don't just ram it. I don't try to cram it all in with, in a way that the other side can't respond to it. Um, that's, that's not a discussion, and that's not a talk radio style. Well, now, we're I'm happy to discuss. I, excuse me? We're, we're no, we're not going to have style. speech. We're not going to deliver speeches in which we rattle off campaign slogans on, on a radio show, Patrick. That's well. not AM radio. No, that doesn't mean – I'm not suggesting – I'm not trying to in any way censor you or say you can't talk about anything you want. I want to – in fact, if anything, it's quite the opposite. I want to have a, a discussion on each one of these things so we can find out exactly what happened, exactly what is meant here. Otherwise, you just have – I mean, it's just a, uh, you know, kind of a delivered sort of a political speech, and this isn't – what we do. I mean, it's not talk radio. That's politics. And that's, you know, are you running for office? Not anymore. <laughs> then then don't already. run for office. But we have to I mean, that's what politicians do. Listeners. All right. Let's welcome aboard our radio listeners, WWPRAM in Tampa Bay, Florida, KSKQFM in Ashland, Oregon, and Blog Talk Radio, our online partners, and Cyber Station USA Radio Network. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. Chuck Morse here, Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan. Patrick, in our first hour, we were with Christina Hoff Summers. You listed off, I counted about 12. I think it might have been more than that. It was about 15 things that you shoved into there. My question to you is, did you read that off the page? I read it off of, uh, actually, uh, before we went on the air, I did a lot of research, and I, I created my own list. Now, where did you get the information from a lot of different places. Can you give me the name of one or two of those places? Uh, I'd have to go back and pull a, a history. Let's see. Move on. Um, PFAO, uh, the Protect Life Act, the text of uh, HR uh, 358, the text of... Uh, of yeah, but uh, how did you know to look to that? I mean, in other words, my question to you is, did you have a, an article in front of you or a source that listed all of these things, and then maybe you did a little bit more deep research? Oh, uh, several articles, uh, which I've done research on. This has been a, a topic of mine for a long time. These are things I, I know. I didn't, I didn't have to, to, to look at one particular article. I've, I've had a, I've have a whole file of articles. Oh, I know, and you've talked this. about it before, and I've heard yeah. it talked about by others. But and my I question is this. that, right, and that's fine. But uh, it sounded to me like, 
you prepared a page in advance and you were prepared to read it in advance and you did and you did it in a way that uh, didn't give our guest or me an opportunity to discuss any one of these things until you were finished now it would that's be right. it's, and that's not the way you do talk radio well that's it's the way impossible. I do talk radio Chuck. no it's Sorry. not you have I've never well, seen I'm you do this to. before <laughs> I'm well, going to get then we're going to have to go. I'm not going then to be, we're just going to have to go through. Shot off to one side by by an, by an argument on one particular thing. I'm going to get all my facts out because the war on women has a number of different battles, and I want to make sure that everybody understands that there are many, many, many attacks on women, and I can't do that unless I list all of the attacks. Then, if you want to discuss each one, you can. But this is there's many, many aspects of that, and I'm not going to be deflected. Well, if you're going to do that, Patrick then I think it's fair that you at least, you know, and by the way, I don't do this, and I don't give those kinds of speeches. But if that's what you want to do, you should post that on our blog site in advance and let me know that you're going to be doing it so I can then study it. Okay, then you can deliver. Then you can deliver the speech, that's fair. and then we're going to go through each one of these points and take a look at exactly what was said there, exactly what was meant, who said, and all of the actual factual and, you know, put it into some context, you know, put it into a little nuance, you know, rather than just have this kind of jingoistic, you know, declaration. You know, I mean, what what do you, are you you, like writing a declaration? And your style is is that you you give a whole long range of opinions and then you ask a question and to the point where sometimes I kind of forget what the question was. My style is to list out facts. We just have different styles. But your your idea about uh, posting in advance is a good one because it, it adds more to our website, and I'll do that. No, I don't just give out opinions, Patrick. I base my opinions on fact, and I state those facts. And then I give it, rather than just listing facts in a, in a kind of a, um, an undigested way, I actually discuss them. We have an opinion based upon them where there is a, uh, a presentation, why I think this is important. And then there's a discussion. You're right. I don't just list off a lot of facts, but I use facts, and I declare them as part of my presentation. And if you want to get into a show where we each deliver speeches, I suppose we could do that. I mean, it's going to bore people pretty quickly because, after all, that's not what talk radio is about. Talk radio is an opinion media. Hello? I'm here. Oh. Okay, I thought you. I'm listening to your opinion. No, I mean, look, I'm I'm simply pointing out that talk radio, as I said, is an opinion media. You know, you have to present facts, but you, you know, you do it in a context where you present a fact and then you discuss an opinion, or you weave it into your opinions. You don't just rattle off a, a prepared list of facts and then sit there and go ha ha. You know, it's just it, it's actually from a stylistic standpoint, it's not that effective. I mean, you're not going to, you're going to bore people. People are going to tune out if they hear that because, I mean, you know, if you want that, you know, people don't go to talk radio for that. That's not what talk radio is all about. I'm listening to your opinion. Yeah, and do you want to respond to it? No, I don't have anything. Why to say. not? You've got your style. I've got mine. And, and you think that talk radio is all about coming into a show with a, a long list of facts that one doesn't have a chance to respond to well, alleged facts and listing them off without putting them into any context. You think that's what talk radio is all about? They were in a context. No, they weren't. 
Well, you, you simply listed them so, off. I do. There's no point. What was the context? You, you announced what you were doing. This is the war against women, and no, then you I, launched said, into. You're misquoting me already. All right. So then, how did you announce the the diatribe? There's a lot more to the war on women than just abortion, and here are examples of the other battles that are being fought in the war on women. All right, fine. And then you launched into probably a list of at least ten, if not twelve. Well, Chuck, very you involved know, things. Wasting, uh, our, we shouldn't be talking about this on the air. We're, we're wasting our uh, our time, we're wasting our listeners' time. This is my no, style. No, this isn't a waste of time. You don't like it, I, you don't have a show. You know what? I resent your saying that I'm wasting people's time, because well, this fine. is actually just, a very just, important... You know, go right ahead and, and resent it. Thank you. This is a situation where, after announcing what you were going to do, you then proceeded to list off these things without discussing each one of them in terms of your own opinion, let alone giving our guest or me a chance to respond to them. And that is why I'm that's it's not so much that you presented the opinions or the facts as you call them. That's fine. You're entitled, you know, that's what we're here for. But if you're going to do it in a way where you simply make an announcement, I'm about to list these so-called facts and then you launch into a, a 5-minute, 7-minute segment where you just start rattling off these facts, that's not a discussion. You know, this is it's it's not even a discussion from you. It's just reading off of a page. And what we're doing here is talk radio. We're not doing a, a, a format where you just get up and read stuff. This isn't a stump. It's not a political speech. Do you get what I'm saying here? I'm listening to your opinion. And yeah. I've got my style. You've got your style. And, but the problem, but the thing is, I've never heard you do this before. You know, I mean, I mean I've heard fl- you know inflections of it, but usually you are conversational. You will mention some things, and then you talk about them. And if we're going to change the format of the show, and we're now going to deliver long speeches, where the uh, the other side doesn't get to ex- inject their opinions, or you don't even inject your opinions, then we're dealing with a whole different format. Do you appreciate that? Well, we'll have to take it as it goes. Okay. So, you know, all I can tell you is that if you're going to do one of these things in the future, I want an advanced copy of it so I can see exactly what you're doing and I can have a chance to look at it because most of these things I'd never heard of, neither has any of our listeners, so you don't really, it's not really fair anyways. You don't have a chance to respond to it. And then if, after your speech, we will then take the time, whether it take a week or whether it take the rest of the summer, to go over each one of them and do what talk shows are supposed to do, put it into context and discuss that, okay? Well, that's fair enough. Okay, thank you. Let's go on to another subject. Well, actually, we have to take a break. All right, why don't we do that? We should have uh, Dave Johnson coming up. And what's so funny? Uh, nothing. No, you sound like you're having another little giggle there. All right, we'll be back after this and these messages.
Radio with Chuck and Patrick. Uh, Patrick, I just wanted before we introduce our guest. I mean, you will be posting that list of uh, particulars on our blog site, so I can have a chance to read that. And we will be discussing this, or I will be discussing this tomorrow and in the coming weeks, one at a time, because these are obviously very serious accusations. Republicans are having something against women. This is a defamatory, in my opinion, and I want to have a chance to put them in context. I also want to have on Carolyn Bowman, who apparently said that most of these things are nonsense. So I think we need to hear uh, responsible voices from both sides on this and take a look at each one before we start smearing entire portions of our population by saying they've got something against women. Well, I don't have to share um, them because the evidence is right there. It's Carlin Bowman, and uh, she's been on the you. show many times, and we'll, uh, bring her, we'll bring her back on. We will, and, you know, the evidence that you present, again, has to be gone over piece by piece so we can find out whether or not Republicans don't like women or want to oppress women and all of that, those sorts of accusations, because those are very serious accusations, very defamatory. It's like saying all black people are something or all Jews are something. That's how I take it. Anyways, let's welcome aboard Dave Johnson. Dave, how are you? I'm great, and I apologize for that. The minute I was going to call you, somebody handed me a phone and said, your aunt's on the phone. So here I am late. Here I am no late. Problem. I was bad. And well, by I, the way, all Republicans, all Republicans are like that, Chuck. It just, just is. Are, are like, yeah, I guess so. Dave. Deal with it. Yeah, you know, it's an election season, and you get all of this kind of silly stuff that that comes out, and I suppose I should expect it. I've been through it myself, but you you just can't, you know, kind of brace yourself no matter what. I mean, I I must say this. At least it's better than what I was expecting this time around, which is that Republicans hate black people. I haven't heard that one yet. I'm sure we'll probably get that one in the final weeks of the election. Anyway, Dave, but I saw you at Netroots Nation. What – are your impressions on on Netroots Nation? Did it energize your liberal batteries? Well, it does actually. It was a good good (laughs) conference. I want to do a shout out to Providence here, uh, especially because the facility was wonderful. You were there, you know. It was like the perfect size for this convention. The hotels were the right distance. Everybody at the hotels was nice. Great places to eat right nearby. And they even had some breweries, so I was happy. Great so town. I just want to give this shout out to Providence that that they were very welcoming and it, it's a great place to have a convention. So, 
if all the convention planner, planners listening to this show think about Providence because it was great. How's yeah, that? great, great time. And by the way, Romney has closed the gender gap. Uh, Democrats That's always, right yeah, Democrats always do better than Republicans uh, among women. Have have done so, I think, since uh, maybe since Roe versus Wade. It probably is that issue. But nevertheless, in that context, there's no, uh, there hasn't been any bump for for Democrats with regard to the propaganda around war and women. In fact, Romney's closed the gap. Uh, you know what? I what think? are some of your, yeah? What I, are some of your I impressions? I think most people. I think a lot of people have just tuned out and aren't paying any attention at this point. Are you kidding? That's well, I'm no. I, I think people are starting to pay attention. Um, in fact, um, there's a new poll out today from um, Rasmutton, and I know that they're obviously biased. I agree with that. But it shows that Romney's, uh, Romney has moved ahead in Wisconsin. Yeah, well, I, I'm not surprised. We'll see what happens. I understand, by the way, I understand Romney has not given any interviews to anybody but Fox. Well, Romney, of course, has his problems, and I, I'm nervous about him because I know Romney is governor of Massachusetts, and he has a tendency to have his foot deeply planted in his mouth a lot. You know, he's well, uh, kind just, of... He's, he's just very bring out the old, in, no, he he'll bring he out the old edge of sketch and, and say something yeah. else. He does. Later, he says these awkward things that come out really weird and funny. He always did as governor. And, um, yeah, I, I think that he's a brilliant man, but I think that he has some communication problems, and he seems to have those, and it makes me very nervous because I do think that this is his race to lose, and he might come out with a real whopper. And and you know what I mean? I just it's almost yeah, like I'm cringing waiting for that to happen. Just keep in mind though, he doesn't mean it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't mean it. Whatever it is, he doesn't mean it. I know. He doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean it. It's just uh, a so, so Netroots Nation was just, just fantastic. It, you know, it was good for me, you know. I this is my seventh one in a row. Been to all seven and of course I know everybody there, so for me it was great, but the panels were good, the Keynotes were good. I did a panel on China that we'll talk about in just a second. But the overall thing, I think, was pretty good. And, you know, the, one of the best parts about it was they located Chuck right next to this stage where they had some of the sort of, uh, what's the right word, fringy? I don't know. Some of the a little more out there kind of presentations going on. And every time I came by to look at Chuck, there, he's sitting next to this, Speaker blaring in his ear, and it was always something like lesbian, gay, feminists for socialism up on the stage or something. And Chuck was sitting there twitching, trying <laughs> to do the show, and twitching. Patrick, you noticed that, didn't you? Chuck, yeah. Chuck looked like he was going to have a seizure half half of the time at this thing. But I think, I suspect Chuck enjoyed himself. No, I had a good time. Um, you well, know, and, and I, to me, that's like going on a. It's like I'm a paleontologist going out looking at dinosaur bones. You know, it's like a chance to go out in the field and actually examine. And I consider myself to be somewhat of an expert on the left. This is a chance to get to see some live specimens. Well, there you go. Yeah, Chuck got to visit the specimens. So, yeah. I did a panel on Saturday morning. That was interesting, and this was on my favorite subject, which is China manufacturing and why can't Apple make the iPhone in America? Mm -hmm. So that was the panel I was on, and I said a couple of the things, uh, but one of the things 
that I, that I said it was, of course, stuff we've talked about here, which is that in China they can uh, make people do things they can't do here, and that is how a lot of these countries use our democracy against us, because here people say, when they have a say, they say they want to have good wages, worker protections, uh, you know, safety inspections, all of those things that uh, the Romney types say makes us less business friendly. You know, that we're not business mm-hmm. friendly because we protect the environment. We're not business friendly because we want to pay good wages and the unions want pensions and stuff. So that was, you know, part of what I said. But I said something else, and I'm just curious on Chuck's reaction here. Because uh, China is competing with us. Right. They are a, They see themselves as a country. They understand themselves as a country, and they say, we're doing this to promote China's interests. So they have these strategies they use on us with low wages, with the environmental stuff. You know, they'll give you a factory, and they lure American businesses to come over there. And then we have this huge trade deficit. And if you want to worry about a deficit, that's the one to worry about because it literally sucks money out of the country. And when we buy more from them than they buy from us, we have less money, and they have our money, which is ultimately why we end up with these huge budget deficits and other things, because essentially we're just losing all this money. So, So as a national strategy, they're doing that. But what then happens is that by doing that as a country, they're they have persuaded our business leaders in America that they're not part of a country. You hear this more and more that they talk about how, well, we live in a globalized economy, et cetera, et cetera, never a word about democracy competing and all of that. They just say, well, we have a global company. We have a global economy. We don't really have an interest in America as much as we have a business interest in the world, all that sort of stuff. And what I said at the panel was this, that China has persuaded many of our own elites to fight against our own government. By Dave, look, I mean, you and I, by, I, by you and I have always agreed country. on that. Yeah, I know I mean, you agree. I'm just wondering how you feel about that, because now I'm talking no, about the Romneys and others when they talk about how the globalization means we have to cut wages and all of that, and how they don't like our government and they're going to ship jobs to China, have they been tricked by the Chinese communist government into a strategy where their own interests are pushing them to be against our own country? They don't see us as a country, you know. No, look, I mean, I entirely and totally agree with you on this, Dave. I mean, I think that you've embraced what I consider to be a conservative cause, you know. I mean, this is an economic nationalism you know, it was conservatives who were against the internationalism, both economically and politically. It's not that we're against trade, but it's this idea that uh, the nation state has a right to regulate trade in a way that it gives advantage to domestic business, domestic industry, domestic accumulation of capital. And uh, we've given that uh, the Republican Party was always the party that stood for that. The Democratic Party was always the party of free trade. But unfortunately, the free traders have infiltrated the Republican Party to such an extent that there's virtually no difference. And that happened pretty much during the Clinton years when Bill Clinton signed the NAFTA and GATT agreements. 
And then Clinton went on to sign China's most favored nation trading status agreement, all of which let, were opposed me, by conservatives. Let me just inject one thing. It's the union side of the Democratic Party has been against this whole so-called free trade. And the, well, they, they, the business side of both you know, parties has been pushing it. No, that's true if you look at rank-and-file union members, but the union leadership, while they might give some lip service to it, they generally have fallen No, 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 no. Union leadership, every, no, everyone did. I, I mean, they did with Napster and solidly I mean, saw what was coming and understood it. Remember the whole Gephardt thing opposing NAFTA and all how Gephardt was the union candidate and the Clinton people were against Yeah, after it had been signed. But the problem is that when, at the time when it went into effect, which was in the first year of the Clinton administration, the unions made some noise, and, and but they didn't back it up. They should have. They should have said, this is not in the interest of American workers. It's also the American, and the American uh, Chamber of Commerce should have been against it, too. It was well, not the, in the no, interest. No, the Chamber is hugely for it. The Chamber is, is nothing but lobbying organization for the giant corporations. Come well, on. that's right, but the problem is that if they were representing American industry, American business, American labor, they would have been against it on all sides. And the problem is that I think it's, look, Dave, I think it's an unholy international alliance, and I don't mean to sound we conspiratorial here, but it's an alliance between the left-wing socialistic world order types who don't believe in sovereignty and they don't believe in government they believe in a move toward a one world government and the corporate international corporate types who don't believe also in governments they want to have access to markets and they want to have access to business in communist countries where they can use slave labor because they're just trying to make money both sides have formed i think an unholy alliance both sides are actually quite against uh, well, certainly the, the the right but also the far left at least the witting, the unwitting far left, I'd say, and uh, and that both sides are anti-American. Chuck, it's the what you call the far left that is the crowd that always shows up at these uh, WTO and G6 right. and G4 and G8 to huge, do these huge protests. Remember the big anti-globalization protest sure, in, in Seattle, Seattle, the big yep. one. Okay, yep. now they smash so, all the windows and the, well, the Starbucks window. Well, here's what window. I'm saying. I'm saying that the Chinese have strategically and brilliantly done this scam of offering the business leaders of America the chance to get rich themselves, ultimately selling out their companies and their country. But right. they get rich out of these deals. And so they literally now oppose American government in many ways. And they don't I see agree. themselves as Americans. Yeah. So here's what I said at this panel is that China sees itself as a country they are attacking us well competing with us as a country and these people who see themselves as globalized and all of that the problem is that they're still getting attacked because they're american they're losing their companies to this they might be getting rich but the companies are being lost because the deal with china is they get rich but they sign over all the processes and technologies and proprietary information and stuff to China so that ultimately China takes over that manufacturing and the trade deficit is bleeding us dry. No, we agree, Dave. And also I mean, it's China just like is, Pat Buchanan. It's horrifying. You do, you do. And and it's China horrifying. as a as a communist country, China is technically the corporation. I mean, the first yeah. thing a communist country does when they take over is they abolish corporations and they become the corporation. They also, by the way, abolish unions. The country becomes a union. 
Yeah, no, I mean, there's no unions. They're not going to find happen. unions in a communist country. I mean, they, the whole country is a quote-unquote workers' paradise, and everything is controlled by this elite. I mean, China has an army that is, I think, something like the largest. Almost like a, millions of people are involved in it. It's huge. And but it's a, a domestic system. army. It's not an army that marches on other countries. It's a domestic army. Well, I think they That's have something both. to point out. I think That's they something have both to point of those. out. No, I think they've got both of them, Dave, and they've also got a prison system that has tens of hundreds of thousands of people in it that are engaged in outright slave labor, if not borderline slave labor for the average citizen. We have that. We have that too, actually. No, we don't. Yeah, not, we do. Not, we not have, we have people working for corporations in our prisons. Yeah, we do, but they've been prisons. convicted of crimes. They're not. They're not in there because we don't like their politics. I mean, there's a big yeah, difference. Yeah, but, but they have to China work for like ten cents an hour. Sure. No, I agree now with that, China, and that's an in issue. In China, you might have to give up an organ every now and then, too. Though. Yeah, and in China, people <laughs> they, they, we have people in prison because they've been convicted of, of criminal of crimes. Whereas in China, it's political prisons. It's yeah, it's people yeah. who have gone against the Pe- good of the people. People here smoked dope. Oh my! Well, I agree with you. Here. By the way, Dave, I agree <laughs> with you on that. That's a, that's yeah. a problem that we all are on the same side. Oh this my should God! Not be, What's happening to me here? I'm sounding like Pat Buchanan. I'm agreeing with Chuck. Well, maybe, maybe I can throw in a word edgewise. Yeah, first, uh, first of all, the uh, People's me. Republic of China has a standing army of 2.285 million people. It is the largest army in the world. Um, however, none of it is offensive. They're only now developing an offensive uh, capability, and that's uh, a blue water navy, and that's estimated by the Defense Department not to be ready for about five years. But they do have the largest standing army in the world, 2.25, uh, 2.28. Uh, million people. Uh, as far as uh, the, the the problem that you you talk about, Dave, you've talked about this before, in, in that China has a, um, a a industrial policy and they are using it. Uh, we have to keep in mind, and, and I agree with you, but that, that China is, is is pretty three fourths of China is still uh, rural poverty, and uh, and very undeveloped. And the Chinese government is 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 quite well aware of that, and that's one reason why they they are such an authoritarian uh, uh, government is because they have to keep those people down. They're trying their best to uh, bring up the rural areas um, and to modernize them. In the process, they're destroying a lot of them, and they're forcing millions of people to move into this into their cities. The, the largest immigration in the world history has been the movement of people from China's hinterlands into the cities, and they're not being very well coped with, uh, although they, they're getting better at it. So we're going to see more and more and more of that. China is trying to develop a new kind of capitalism, and it looks like they're they're being somewhat successful with that. And this is a capitalism that is not democratic, and they've developed a very vibrant capitalism uh, there. And and of course, as we all know, they're anything but democratic. As Chuck points out, they're just the opposite. But uh, a lot of the developing nations in the world are looking at China as a model. They're beginning to see that capitalism and democracy can be separated, that China has shown the way, and China is investing in those countries. And we're going to see Chinese-style uh, non-democratic capitalist uh, countries pop up all over the world. They're already beginning in Asia. And we're also seeing some Chinese um, um, influence of that kind in Latin America, too. So this is going to be a continuing problem for, for the United States, that the separation of democracy from capitalism and the Chinese model. And, let me, uh, let me talk about yeah. what you said for a second, because sure. part of what you said, yes, China is trying to manage this difficult situation of all of these people and bring their country into the, well, at least into the 20th century. 
although now they're, you know, with the high-speed rail, they're really moving past us in a lot of ways. Now, they have this idea that they have to manage this huge population and keep it safe, stable and a lot of other things, but I think they're making a mistake, and here's where their mistake comes from. First of all, they have very weak law enforcement. Uh, China has developed a crony system, which is what happens when you have weak law enforcement and people with a lot of power. Pretty soon their friends start getting everything, and they have the, the thing with the princelings. The families and friends of people with power are expected to get contracts and perks and all of that. And that's what happens when you have untransparent capitalism that's not democratic, is it has to end up being for the friends and family and cronies, okay, because that's just how power and influence works. The second part of this is they are pursuing a national strategy, yes, industrial policy, like every country has except us. I suspect that an awful lot of this Chinese power and influence is behind why we don't have an industrial strategy. Now, that's, that's the second part of their – what they're doing is they're messing with us. They're not just doing – when you they're say behind it, Dave, are you saying that they're actually, you know, conspiring? They have people in a government that they've bought and that they that are they, actually undermining America's ability to develop a national tanks, economic plan. In the ideology mechanism here, yes, I suspect that they're funding a certain amount of it. Okay, in various ways, we cannot track down. By the way, who's donating money to political campaigns either? I will say that the guy. Yeah, you starting to sound a lot like former Senator Joseph R. McCarthy, actually. Well, I mean, anyway, you know, this is example, no, this is a communist conspiracy to, uh, to the to guy funding Mr. Free Trade Gingrich, Adelson. Yeah. Most of his money comes from casinos that come out of a sweetheart deal with China. So China is pumping so. huge amounts of money to that guy. Uh, in countries controlled by China, he's allowed to have sweetheart deals for his casinos is part of why he's so rich, and then he's funding campaigns here, for example. Now, is there any evidence that he is um, coming out against American um, national economic policies? Uh, I don't want to say that. I, I don't want to say that because, any you know, of this I actually China. find that I, I agree with your analysis on that, too. I think that there are people in this country that are conspiring against the United States having a national economic policy. I right, think and I won't say, I'm not going to say and, that And I think it used to be the old-fashioned communists, and it, it either, you can even go back to the 19th century when it was the British. I'm but not you saying, know, now it probably is the Chinese. I'm not saying they are directly paid, and I'm not saying they're working with the Chinese. I'm saying that China is probably helping along those who have, an, and they don't know it. The people right. getting help don't even know it probably, but those people... I agree with you, Dave. Uh, I think there one is. I think, example, it, I think though, it's evidence, yeah. One example, though, is a certain free trade think tank turns out is heavily funded by Asian companies, but that's another story. And which, which one is uh, that? I, I, I will leave that to private conversations. All you have to do is start following the money. You'll find out you don't that make, why you don't want to make an accusation. Lot of our free trade ideology and the kind of ideology that says the country shouldn't have an industrial policy, we shouldn't get winners and losers. All of those things, you'll find that there's a certain amount of influence from those who benefit from those who benefit, policies. benefit, foreign countries. No, yeah. I agree with that, David. It's okay. something that goes back in American history. I mean, we could 
as I said, right. it, this used to be in the early 20th century. It was another communist uh, nation that was involved with that. I think that was the Soviet Union. And now, in the 19th clear, century, it was the British. I mean, I'm they were against America developing a, a strong yeah. national economic system. And uh, look, the the whole free trade agenda, going all the way back right. to the days right. of Andrew Jackson, I mean, who was pushing free trade and who was against tariffs. I mean, this is Let something me, that has always yeah. been a Democratic Party thing. Again, the Republican Party since the 19, probably the 1980s, I think Reagan was the last president to have any economic protection, and even he was somewhat of a free trader. But, you know, pretty much oh, at this point... Trader, but he would enforce trade agreements. He was great on that. Yeah, he yeah. would, and he also but he did put in, in some power. he brought in a lot power. of this free trade stuff that's killed us. Too. They all have. I mean, but he... And, and Eisenhower was a free trader. No, I mean, the Republicans have been co-opted by this in, in recent uh, decades. And, and, the, the and what we would call the corporate Democrats, too. Well, the Democrats have always been free trade. The Republicans uh, traditionally, uh, no, they were, and I could give you a history on that. Well, there was fact, this big Kathy switch. Cannon, you mentioned, he wrote a good book yeah. on this history. Well, there but, was a look, big the, switch of Republicans and Democrats in the 60s and 70s, where the what used no, to be the, Democrats became Republicans and vice versa. No, no, yeah, that's right, uh, on, on issues like civil rights. But the, on yeah. issues of free trade, the Democrats have always traditionally been the free trade party, and they continue to be. The Republicans used to be a more nationalist-oriented party. They used to support economic nationalism. I mean, I, I just wrote a book about the Whigs. The Whigs were the precursors of the Republicans. Henry Clay well, wrote the American system, which was a national system of developing infrastructure, uh, high tariffs, developing domestic industry, low taxes, business-friendly policies, and other things that would help accumulate American capital and American industry with the government's help in private hands. I mean, that was the model. And now I, it's, it's, you're quite right, it's become like a, a kind of a – do you remember when I quoted on this program the, the, the chairman or the president of Boeing? I don't have the quote in front of me right now, but his attitude is typical now of these big multinational corporations in that he said, hey, American sovereignty and American borders, that's passe. We do business all yeah. over the world. We're not exactly. we're not loyal to any one country. We're just uh, you know we're international. This is a new order now. It's a new move. And again, I think that those people are ideologically and practically in bed with the same people that are pushing international government and such things as the Law of the Sea Treaty and this other convention in, in uh, Rio that is calling for an international EPA. Anyway, go ahead. Just to say. Uh, they might feel that way, but those countries are looking at uh, they, as themselves as a country and at us as a country, and they're saying, oh, yeah, we like it when you say you're not part of a country, because yeah. <laughs> then they can come after us as a country and we're not even responding. I have to, I have to finish I something, because I use someone's name, okay? Adelson, the, the Gingrich's billionaire. I am saying that the appearance, because he has sweetheart deals with China, with his casinos, it leaves it open. I'm not saying he's conspiring with China. I'm not saying China's no, paying I know. for this. I'm just saying I want to be very he's clear influenced. that it leaves it open to the question, is China's influence involved in this? I, I, had to, I, had I to think it's a good clear. question, and yeah, I think it's okay. a valid question. We should take a look at I don't know enough about his policies, but, you know, it's, it's, it's something that should be looked at. I think his thing with, with Gingrich had more to do with his support for the state of Israel I don't think it had much to do with anything else. That was the issue he wanted to get across, as far as I know. Right. So one more thing I want to say. There's a second part of China's trick here. 
Okay, yeah. the first part is that they're acting as a country and they're influence, influencing people to see themselves as globalized and not part of a country, and that really works to their advantage. Now a second way. I want to say a second way that they're, as a country, hurting us as a country, and that is the trade deficit. Now, what they dangle in front of companies is that you will have this huge market to sell to if you play ball with us. That's great. That's good. Expanding exports and trade is good. But here's where the trick comes in. We import more from them than they buy from us, and they keep relaxing and saying, okay, you can sell a little more to us. And they do this every year, and they say we're going to lower our currency imbalance a little bit. And they do it every year, and they open up a little more every year. But the other side of that equation is they also rig things so that they sell more to us every year, too. So we maintain a huge trade deficit. The individual companies involved, many of them come out well, but they keep ahead of the game, and so they keep the interests of individuals working against the interests of us as a country because every year they're draining hundreds of billions of dollars out with this trick they're playing of always keeping a trade deficit, an imbalance, okay? It's really sophisticated, but it's important to understand that every year they open up more trade, so more business leaders want to do more business with China and fight against our efforts to do something about what China's doing as a country. Mm -hmm. These individuals, they get more sales, yeah. But as China sells more to us, the trade imbalance stays very high, and China as a country drains hundreds of billions of dollars out of our country every year with this. And with that, Dave, let me just remind our listeners, you're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. You can be part of this. You can call in at 424-675-6806, and you can also email us at fairnessradio at gmail.com. And this segment is brought to you by Barton Publishing. There was an interesting piece in the uh, L.A. Times this morning about the way the Hollywood movie industry is altering itself in order to fit the Chinese uh, marketplace. Um, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've been watching many Hollywood movies lately, but a lot, particularly of action films, have eliminated Chinese <clears throat> as um, villains, that uh, fo- films are, are either not set in Chinatowns or the international version is not set in Chinatowns, uh, whereas the American version is. And there are more and more Chinese-American heroes in American action films, and as I said, fewer and fewer Chinese villains. And these are conscious decisions that are made by the big American studios who spend you know, $150, $200 million on a film in order to get them into China and pass the Chinese censors and to make the uh, audiences in China happy. And, in fact, uh, audiences in China have been reported standing and cheering when Chinese-American heroes have gone on the screen or when American Mm. heroes have said nice things about China. And American heroes in our movies now do say nice things about China, too. And this is just one of the subtle ways in which China is beginning to change the way we do business here, even with our with ourselves. You know, it sounds yep. like it's a good time to be a Chinese American actor. It kind of reminds me of the way Hollywood was toward the Soviet Union in the 1930s and 40s, right? Now, this isn't just the films they make for China, Patrick. Right. So it's for everybody. The point is yeah. that if a studio releases 
any film that China doesn't like, then that whole studio loses the business with China. Everything they make, everything they do, future investment opportunities, etc. So if they make anything China doesn't like, then anything else they make. They can make, lose the whole thing, yeah. That's right. Dave, that's what about, what about President Obama? What's his record in terms of uh, Chinese uh, economic relations with the United States? Has he done anything? Has he initiated anything that's worth talking about? Well, he has, on the one side, started to enforce a lot of trade agreements. Don't forget that in the Bush years, they didn't enforce any. They totally bought into this uh, whole free trade thing and open up China and this and that, and we lost 50,000 factories. We lost a huge, I think, a third of all of our manufacturing jobs during the Bush years. Well, side of the Clinton. Now, Obama... And Sorry. Well, it started with Clinton's most well, right favorite nation. Yeah, right at the end of Clinton, they opened up. They well, actually, it started made, at the beginning of Clinton. They but proposed, no, at the anyway, end of Clinton, what, they proposed what about Obama? What trade China agreements did they, they enforce? after Clinton. So it all happened under Bush. But, yes, Clinton yeah. opened it up. Yeah. Now, Obama has started enforcing some of the blatant trade agreements when they're selling stuff here at a lower price than they can make it. And... And we just slapped a huge tariff, huge tariff on Chinese solar panels and stuff like that because they were doing everything they could to seize that whole industry because that's a huge industry in the future. So Obama has done that, and then on the other side of it, they will not call China officially a currency manipulator. Now, that's good you brought that up because this is a big deal. They hold their currency down. They actually take that money. We drain out to them, and they use that money – to manipulate the money markets to keep their currency price low. They actually will continue to buy dollars and well, other Dave, Let things. me ask you a technical question. Let me finish. Exactly let me finish. How do they do this. that? Got to finish this. Yeah. Uh, so, but Obama has not named them a currency manipulator. There's a bill that has passed the Senate. It has now, I think, 63 or 67 Republican co-sponsors in the House, but Republican leader... Boehner refuses to bring it to the floor, and Romney, who says he'll do something about China on his first day, refuses to call on those 67 co-sponsors of that bill to even say, let's bring it to the floor. So there's a lot of shenanigans going on on both sides. Nobody wants to make China too mad. No, I know, and and neither side seems to have much will to stand up to China. But but, but I just want to ask you a technical question, Dave. What yep. exact, how does China actually manipulate their currency? What does that really mean? They actually buy dollars to keep the dollar higher than the one. So they, they, actually, they actually, in the markets at I which think. it can sell, one of the things they do, they don't allow people to buy Chinese currency, okay? They've started opening up these deals with other countries, though, these currency swap deals, but... They do a number of things, but part of it involves just active direct manipulation that costs them hundreds of billions of dollars to do it, but it keeps their currency at a lower price and keeps the dollar high relative to each other so that they can sell. In other words, they're hoarding American dollars, literally, which, of course, inflates the value of the American dollar. No, no, uh, inflates the value of the American dollar so that our stuff costs more out there in the world compared to their stuff. Okay. They're, they're actively hurting us. Well, I mean, isn't that um, 
isn't that insider trading or currency manipulation? I mean, oh, yeah, Patrick and I the other day talked about the fact that George Soros was convicted of this by the British for manipulating the British pound. I mean, that's only an example of one person. In this case, China as a whole you know, government is doing it. Isn't that against well, international law? We'll leave aside getting diverted into George Soros. Right, but let's leave that one there. It is. It's against everything. They're doing it. Nobody's stopping them, and there they are. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> no, I mean, Dave, I, Romney's I'm totally not stopping them. Romney's not stopping no, them. Sure Obama's not, not stopping them. Yeah. The etch a sketch is in full operation. Now, the reason the House is doing it is there's this Wall Street group called the Club for Growth who yeah. has made it a litmus test. It's Wall Street. They want this to continue. Well, they're, they're, they're the free traders. Of yeah, they're the big free trade group. No, yeah. I, I, I get that, and and yeah. it's uh, it's insidious. It's it's a, it's damaging to American domestic industry. It's damaging to American sovereignty. It's damaging yeah. to American labor. I mean, it's it's yeah. all and of it's that. And it's making so a few people really rich, and essentially, yeah. it's China by enabling them even to American. get really rich. Yeah, they get really rich off of this scheme. They're enlisting their support against our own government. Yes. But David, now, um, uh, yeah. what do we do about it? Uh, <laughs> well, the, that's the question. The first thing we do is we become aware of it. But we, well, a quick thing we can just do is we can demand that Speaker Boehner bring that bill to the floor of the House. That's yep. a big one. Yep. And oh, and you might have seen that the Alliance for American Manufacturing is sending out. Emails through Red State also, by the way, to, sure. to talk it's a about this. It's issue, yeah. If and you're on their group, list, by the way, Dave, I interviewed up. them. I interviewed oh, them in that yeah, administration. Right. I totally, totally agree with them. Uh, Patrick, you said that um, China is engaged in what you'd call capitalism without uh, democracy, without democracy yeah. and that this is a model that's being exported to other countries. I mean, this is a longer conversation, uh, but but I would argue that that's not capitalism. It's it's much more of a, a central government, state-run, uh, you, you know, entity. It's there's no private ownership. There's no there's no moral code. In order to have capitalism, you have to have those things. You well, have to yeah. have a you know, it would not necessarily yeah. a Judeo-Christian system of morality. I suppose you yeah. could have the same in a Buddhist country. But capitalism really is something that operates within the context of moral laws and in the context of private ownership. It's not, you know, what we're describing here is not really capitalism. It's more fascism. It's more of a central control government where the government may not own everything outright, but in a de facto sense they own everything. They let they give privileges to companies and let them exist in exchange for them working with them, and that's that's not capitalism. That's well, not the American approach. It's not, it's not American capitalism. It's not the model that that we're used to. Uh, it's a longer show, and and I I would reject uh, right. any suggestion that capitalism requires morality. Capitalism is only based on making money. No, but it's the not. The Chinese it's are morality. trying to redefine capitalism, and they're trying to do it with a mix of central control. And, and you can own private property in, in China. American companies do own private property. Chinese companies own private property. So that that part they do allow, but uh, they as, do it within a context of, of central control. Uh, Dave, you have some comments on this? As much as the law is enforced, they do. But if a Chinese company decides to challenge it, the, the Chinese government will usually side with the Chinese right, company. Right, and also to, just, suggest that, to suggest that capitalism is just to make money, that's a Marxist analysis of capitalism, and it's not true. 
Capitalism well, I think is it is a, true, and Marx wasn't always I wrong. Know you, well, it's in this case, you believe in that. And, and it's I would also argue the Milton that Friedman capitalism, analysis that says that it has to just be for the financial profit of the shareholders. That's right. No, well, Milton no, Friedman I mean, Milton Friedman is a little more nuanced than that, and I'm not necessarily a fan of Milton Friedman, but the fact is that capitalism, I would argue, is a system that exists within a moral context, within constraints, and also with, with, in, a, in a context of private ownership, which in and of itself, by nature, has a constraining influence. It's not this whole idea of unfettered capitalism. That is as false as communism is. It's not really true. It's not what capitalism is. And this well, is a, you know, it's it's a, just a, a, a false analysis of it. This I'm is glad a whole show. Uh, I wish this you would tell that show. to the Tea Party, but this is a uh, this is for a different show. Uh, we're really talking about China. Yeah, China, and you're right that China is trying to redefine capitalism as a mix of central control and uh, favored uh, private property owners. But uh, the Chinese companies are out there making profits. That's why they're there. And, and many, many for people in China are getting rich. For China, exactly. They're part of, they, they exist at the privilege of the state. They're, they're really state-controlled. And no, they're, they're using state the controlled. word... No. They, no, yeah, no, no, they are, and no, they're, they're using not. the word capitalism, okay. but it's not capitalism. And, and to kind no. of mix these things up... You yeah, know, I, I, in, it's very important to... So to we're, we're out of time. So well, you asked me how we fix this. Coming up in D.C. is a conference called Take Back, uh, Rebuild the America... What is it called? Darn it. The Take Back the American Dream Conference. I'll be at that talking about what to do about that. Go to ourfuture.org to see about the conference. All right, Dave. Thanks for joining us, Dave Johnson. Patrick, I'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. Check out our blog site, FairnessRadio.com. If you're listening to Cyber Station USA Radio Network, stay tuned for Mike Siegel. Check out our new app on Stitches. You can now listen to our program on your on your uh, cell phone. And um, have a good evening, everybody. Good night, everybody.